Welcome to Staying Afloat, a podcast for the float nurse. Do you float all throughout your hospital or system? Then this podcast is for you. Our goal is to bring you content that will enhance your practice. Today, we're going to be talking about the brain. Yes, neuroscience. Most nurses either love or hate the brain, but it's something that we all need to exist. What we're talking about today is stroke, what joint commission looks for, the different education requirements, the different documentation requirements, things that are important in carrying out and doing the best we can for our patients. Because in the end, the most important thing is our patient outcomes, that they're doing well and getting back to their normal life. So with me today are Amy O'Brien, who is our neuroscience program manager, and Holly Helfant, who is our neuroclinical nurse specialist. Amy, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background so that everybody knows how you came to be our neuroscience program manager. Sure thing. Thanks, Cheryl. Um, I've been with the Mount Carmel Health System for uh, 15 and a half years now. I started at Mount Carmel St. Ian's actually as a cardiac nurse um, on their med surge cardiac unit. Um, however, with the new tower build and expansion there, um, I, when I joined um, the leadership team as their clinical manager, we transitioned to the neuro unit. So I helped them with their original primary certification at St. Ian's. I was clinical manager and nurse manager there on 2 North. And then in about 2015, I joined the system service line as the neuroscience program manager. And I've been there ever since. All right. And Holly, why don't you share your journey in how you became the neuroclinical nurse specialist. Sure. I have been at Mount Carmel for my entire nursing career, 33 years, all in neuro or neurosurgery. I started as a staff nurse in the neuro ICU and then transitioned into a role that was called neurosurgery coordinator, which basically was a rounding nurse that communicated with the physicians and the staff and worked with families and then for a couple of years, I was a clinical instructor for the College of Nursing in the neuro ICU. I had senior students there. That's kind of how I ended up over at East. From there, I was hired in as a neuro-specific educator. And while I've been in that role, I've been back to school and um, got my licensure for clinical nurse specialist and have advanced the role to really encompass all of the neuroeducation for Mount Carmel East, but that does spill over um, system-wide because of our comprehensive stroke designation and our other designations throughout the system. There's a need for a specified neuroeducation that meets the requirements for those designations and certifications. So that's what I oversee and provide. All right. And we'll learn more about that as we continue talking during our time together. So, Amy, we've talked and heard primary stroke and comprehensive stroke. What do those mean and how in our system do we have those? Sure thing. So for looking at stroke-specific designations, there are actually four that the Joint Commission offers. There's acute stroke-ready, thrombectomy-capable, primary stroke, and comprehensive stroke. 
In our system, we currently have two primary stroke centers. That's Mount Carmel St. Anne's and Mount Carmel Grove City and a comprehensive center, Mount Carmel East. Um, we'll dive in here a little bit more specifically about what those entail, but essentially, just broadly speaking, these are specific designations by the Joint Commission and they represent um, the level of care offered at each hospital as well as proof of meeting the highest standard of care for stroke patients. Okay. So joint commission requirements for stroke designation, that's going to entail all kinds of different things. So Holly, education-wise, what is it that our nurses do in the Mount Carmel Health System that make them a primary stroke nurse or a comprehensive stroke nurse? Yes. So for Mount Carmel East, the Comprehensive Stroke Center, those nurses working with any stroke patient have to have minimum of eight hours of stroke-specific education. We have that already. And that's annually? Yes. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Every year we have to show, and I do that via the HealthStream transcripts, show that our nurses have at least eight hours of stroke-specific education. The education each of these nurses gets will vary depending on if they're new hires, because there's a lot more than eight hours of nursing education that our regular staff working on those neuro floors have to have. So we easily meet that requirement within the first year or year and a half. But moving forward um, with those more tenured nurses, we have education that is specifically designed and provided to them to help them meet those eight hours. I would say the biggest uh, venue for that is the annual Brain Days Neuroeducation Day. We have that is um, assigned every single year. Sometimes we have two or three sessions in that same year. It's the same content, so you don't have to do it more than once, but every nurse working on a neuro floor has to attend one of those sessions yearly. So I try to make that content new and fresh and more relevant to the current times. If there's been any updates on research or guidelines or evidence-based practice, we try to implement that into their into that education day so it's meaningful and relevant education. I usually have a group of physicians speak on a variety of topics. Amy O'Brien always has a slot because of the updates that come with our comprehensive stroke requirements. She goes over specific documentation, which she's going to be going over some of that here in just a bit, I believe. So the brain days is a big chunk of that stroke education. It's either between four to six hours. And then throughout the year, there are other requirements, your NIH, original certification or renewal. Past year, for example, we had the RFI module that was required, the TNK. Everybody had to do that because it was a new medication that we added. So Yearly, we try to update what's required and keep it relevant, keep it meaningful to enable those nurses to meet that eight-hour requirement. And then what about primary stroke if they aren't based at Mount Carmel East, which is our comprehensive stroke center? What about those at the primary stroke? What education do they have to do? Those designations, you have a requirement of four hours yearly. Again, there are certain things that those nurses have to do during their orientation and onboarding that will surpass those four hours after that first year and they do all of those orientation requirements. They are assigned different things throughout the year. 
for example, their NIH recertification. Everybody has to do the inpatient stroke alert module. Uh, again, this past year, there was a TNK module, RFI module. So throughout the year, as, as we move through and, and discover things that are more relevant, we create more education. So those hours are met through the things that we design and specifically assign. Okay. All right. Now, there are there specific competencies that the neuroscience nurse or a nurse working in one of those units needs? Yes. For the neuro ICU, the nurses need to meet with me to do the EVD competency. So we go over a checklist. We do hands-on with the EVD itself. I, so that takes care of that competency. I, I'm going to stop you there yeah, yeah, just yeah. one second. Yeah. So EVD, oh, for those that aren't aware of what that is, what do you mean by EVD? My apologies. Externalized ventricular drain. So sometimes you'll hear it called EVD or ventric. That just refers to the drainage system, drainage and monitoring system that literally goes into the ventricle of the brain. And we can do monitoring of ICP pressures and drainage of CSF at the bedside. So a lot of times the uh, sicker patients that we see in the neuro ICU, and I would specifically say related to intraventricular hemorrhages or subarachnoid hemorrhage, because those actually bleed into the subarachnoid space and enter the ventricle, and it causes the CSF to uh, back up and not flow efficiently, also they, it causes increased intracranial pressure. So we put that device in to the ventricle of the brain to help keep the pressures down and help with the flow of CSF until that blood breaks down and resolves on its own. So we see that a lot in our neuro ICU. So that's a specific competency that we um, go over with all the nurses that are in that unit so they understand how it works and why we use it. All right. That's great. So you nurses that are not real big neuroscience nurses, they've got a lot of neat stuff going on. So maybe you want to give the brain a little extra thought. Are there any other specific competencies? Oh, sure. Uh, another one that's very important is our uh, swallow screen. We have the first choice nurses do a module uh, about swallow screening for dysphagia. And after they watch that module, they're supposed to meet with a charge nurse of that particular unit and actually be comped off with doing an actual swallow screen on a patient. And then there's a form that they will have. They both sign off on that and it gets returned to me. Okay. All right. Now, for all nurses that work um, in the neuro units, they do the dysphagia screening as, or learn how to do that yes. as well. Yes. So that's It's a something. requirement for all neuro nurses or any nurse that takes care of a stroke patient. Right. So um, lots there to learn. Are there any other competencies or are those kind of the big ones that... I will just mention, depending on the need on our step-down unit, there are times when we may do lumbar drain competency. Okay. So that's another drainage system, still very high acuity, but those patients might be on our step-down unit. So depending on staffing and acuity uh, and the need of the unit dictated by the manager, I may or may not uh, require or want to do lumbar drain competency. So I just want to mention it because it may it may be something that needs to be done. 
All right. Lots of education and competencies. But what we're trying to do with that, of course, is to provide a standard of care that's above and beyond because we want to take care of our patients in the best way possible using evidence-based practice and doing what's best for the patient. So did you have another I, I also just want to add to this. There are There is a lot of education. We're highlighting uh, the important uh, aspects of this. But in addition to that, I do want to mention our Neuro Extreme module that we require for all of the first choice nurse, the Neuro first choice nurses to complete. And what that is, I just want to clarify what that is. What we did is take, we have a Neuroscience 1 through 4 curriculum. Neuroscience 1, 2, 3, 4. Each of those are about three to four hours long. Those are required for all of the regular staff nurses that start on our neuro floors. It's very long. It's a little bit cumbersome. It's all very, very important information. But what we decided is to kind of tease that down for the first choice nurses. And what we've done is kind of picked and chosen different topics from those four modules. We picked the most important to prioritize. We've clumped those together into a five-hour module called Neuro Extreme. So sometimes people get a little bit confused. Do I do Neuro 1, 3, 4? It's the first choice. We don't have them do all four of those independently. We just go ahead and assign the Neuro Extreme module. So within that module, you're still getting very important content, but that's more specifically pulled out of the one through four curriculum. All right. So our float nurses with our first choice pool when you're working on that module, think about that, that this is, you know, a lot that you're learning in that one module, but it's covering neuroscience one through four so that it's highlighting those important things that you need to know. All right. So standards of care. What are our requirements through joint commission or what is it that we want to be providing? Absolutely. Um, so <clears throat> just breaking this out into comprehensive and primary, I just want to give a quick overview of the way to think about what we offer. These designations are very much tied to your treatment capabilities. So at our primary centers, we're able to give TNK, we're able to evaluate for large vessel occlusions, which would need treatment, a thrombectomy. Now those do transfer to the comprehensive center. But so essentially what I'm gonna go through here in detail is our primary centers have STKs is what they're called. They're stroke core measures essentially is what STK means. Um, there are a few that are pretty physician specific, but I'll just mention them. The bulk of them are very much nursing specific. And this is the really the meat of what the Joint Commission primary standards um, are demonstrating. So they want us to be able to show not just that we have high standards of care through our clinical practice guidelines and our education that Holly has just mentioned, but in our patient outcomes. So all the work that's being done is to, to drive the best possible patient outcome for our stroke patients. And then briefly, when you think about comprehensive, it's all of that that I just said with a very in-depth neurosurgery sat right on top, neurosurgery program. Um, and while Grove City and St. Anne's primary have some neurosurgery, the comprehensive center has to be capable, capable of caring for all manner of neurosurgical patients. And that's really kind of the difference from that perspective. Um, we do at the comprehensive center thrombectomy and then, like I said, robust neurosurgical 
procedures. And so in addition to all those STKs that I'm going to go through for the comprehensive center, there's an additional eight CSTKs, which stand for comprehensive stroke core measures. The bulk of those are very much... um, outcome driven. So they're looking at things like TIKI scores, which is a scoring that shows reperfusion after thrombectomy, aka meaning we were able to pull the clot and get total brain function back. Um, All the way to neurosurgical ranking or rating of patients prior to a procedure after crany. So I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on that today because it does not really impact nursing care specifically, but I just wanted you guys to be aware. But there is one CSTK that is completely nursing driven, and that's NIH within the first 12 hours of admission. So we'll just kind of go through these step by step. I'm going to give you a few epic pointers as well as we talk about each of these. But so STK1 is really about uh, VTE prophylaxis, and we can achieve that one of two ways, either pharmacologically, so Lovenox often or heparin, um, or SCDs. A couple things to note, ambulation and TED hose do not count for this measure. So basically, we need SCDs, if they're not going to get a medication, which a lot of our ICU patients will have both, but if they're not going to receive medical prophylaxis, then we have to have SCDs ordered and documented by day one. And just to explain what that means, day one is literally the first day they're there, not 24 hours. So if we get a patient that comes in at 11 p.m., we have until midnight to meet that measure. So it's, it's very tight. But the big thing that I would talk about here is that Often we are doing really well with the orders, but we're inconsistent in our documentation of them being on. So we're not super nitpicky. We have to see documentation of them on at least once every day, not shift, once every calendar day. Um, But oftentimes we'll see where they're documented that they took them off, and then we never see the documentation of them getting put back on again. And of course, we know we're doing it. Visually, we we can audit that and see that. But at the end of the day, it's the documentation. So two and five are not nurse-driven. These are um, both around antithrombotic therapy. Really the big thing here is that if we don't have it ordered, we're looking for neurology to tell us why. ST3, um, again, is a physician-driven and STK6. So three is looking at how we treat patients with AFib and flutter, making sure that we send them home um, on the appropriate medication, uh, anticoagulant, to help minimize that risk. STK6 has to do with treating uh, patients with an LDL of 70 or higher with a statin. So again, these are good things for nursing to be aware of, but they're not necessarily going to drive these quality indicators. The last two here, um, STK8, we're really struggling with this right now. So STK8 is patient education, and there's a few important things to note here. So the first thing is education is to be documented once a shift, not daily, once a shift. And the things that we have to document, there are five elements. And I'll give you a really good pointer. If you use the care plan, either ischemic stroke or hemorrhagic stroke, they're built right in there for you. You cannot go wrong. All five components are listed out and it guides you along the way. So that's that's kind of tip or trick number one. Make sure you're using either an ischemic or a hemorrhagic care plan to start. Your education will flow through that. But the five elements just quickly here are looking at activation of EMS, uh, ensuring they understand their discharge follow-up appointments, ensuring they understand medications, ensuring that they know their individual risk factors, and I'm going to talk about that in a second here, and then lastly, um, knowing the warning signs of stroke and, and how, you know, when to activate EMS again. 
So by and large, our biggest outlier right now is around risk factors. And here's why. So we're doing a pretty good job across the system at documenting the care plan, getting either ischemic or hemorrhagic. We're even doing a pretty good job at getting all of the five elements in. But when it comes to risk factors, we have to document that we've given them written materials. And so what that looks like is when you go to your methods in EPIC, when you're going through education, there's a box, um, I'm sorry, when you're documenting your education, there's a box labeled methods. And in there is a little radio button that you can click that says handout given. That's what we want you to do. It only needs to happen once a day, but I always advocate for just do it every time because we use a stroke book. It's there at the bedside. We are giving them these materials. We just have to document the work that we're doing. We got to take credit for the work that we're doing. And then lastly, dysphagia. And we definitely have some opportunities here. So a couple things that I would highlight. You heard Holly talking about um, swallow screening. So what the measure here is, is that we have to screen the patients. And as long as they pass, they're able to get PO. If they fail, they need to be MPO until speech clears them. And so a point with that that I will make. Once a patient has failed a screening, that's it. The only person that can clear them is stroke. And oftentimes I see that nurses get pressure from the family and, you know, maybe the physician says, no, it's okay, go ahead and put a diet in. But per our policy and for the safety of our patients, once a patient has failed that screen, we need an expert to come in and clear them. That's our speech therapy team. So I just want to really hit that point because people get confused with this term of rescreen. We really should never be rescreening. So it's if they fail, you're done until speech sees them. Now, another uh, situation that could happen is they pass on admission. But now all of a sudden you're calling an inpatient stroke alert because they're decompensating. Of course, you're going to screen again. I would not say rescreen. I would say screen again based on the fact that the patient's status has changed. So those are kind of the two key points there. But if you take anything away from this section, once they fail, nothing by mouth until speech clears. The other thing I would point out here for those of you that are in the ICU, we see it here most, is that if you have a patient um, that has an NG, make sure your route is correct. So we do see that quite a bit where we have documentation of an NG and then we've got PO meds on the MAR and we know that they crushed those meds and administered them through the NG tube, but we just need to make sure the route reflects that. And I'm sorry, I told you that was the last one. I have one more. Um, So for NIH, and again, that's another competency that Holly spoke about here. That's CSTK. We just need to have an NIH documented within the first 12 hours. And so that happens a number of ways. Our ED physicians often do them for a stroke alert. Where we see outliers are patients that are not stroke alerts. So that would be a patient that comes in through the ED whose symptoms are greater than 24 hours. We're not going to work them up for acute treatment with a stroke alert we are still gonna work them up. They're still probably gonna get medication and therapy and all of those things. But those patients sometimes slip through the cracks on this. So just remember, first 12 hours, if we're ruling out um, stroke or TIA, we need to have that NIH in. And typically speaking, handoff from ED to the unit, um, either ICU, fifth floor, sorry, I'm I'm East specific, your stroke units, either the stroke ICU or the, the medical stroke floor is a great time to do that NIH. We advocate for that because then you can make sure that your scoring is the same. You know, occasionally we see where two nurses come together and one of them's rating the patient a two and the other one feels it's a three. Well, that's a really good conversation to have to know that this patient hasn't gotten any worse. We just both have a little bit of a different perspective on how we would rate the patient. 
So as you can tell, <laughs> that's just a snapshot of the documentation pieces, the education pieces. But really what these designations are about, as I said, is showing the strong outcomes of our patients. And one thing I will say, um, and this is a, a kudos to our first choice nurses as well that are working with stroke patients. Um, I'm very proud. Uh, all of these core measures uh, roll up into an award level through the American Heart Get With The Guidelines. And I'm very proud to say that for the, the past four years, all three hospitals have reached uh, target stroke gold award level. And then honor roll, St. Anne's has hit honor roll elite. And the other two campuses have hit um, just honor roll. And so all of that has to do with our treatment times, with our core measure documentation, really the outcomes that we're showing for our stroke patients. So kudos to everybody. And, and thank you so much for all the work that you do. Thank you, Amy and Holly, for being here today. I think this really gives our nurses a lot to think about as far as why they're doing education we need this knowledge so that we can take care of that higher level neuro patient. If you have any questions, we have included links below for Holly and Amy. If you're an educator wondering how you can do the same thing, my information is below. I hope you have a great day. Stay safe, stay happy, stay afloat. Stay afloat.